Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Art of Podcasting, Episode 29, Hosting Tips, Part 2, recorded October 28, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementsop.com. Uh, this week, we're going to give a few more tips on how to be an effective podcast host. We did this once before. Apparently, we didn't do it well enough. <laughs> so Steve wanted to do it again. And that Steve, just, of course, is Steve Cherubino of HowToPodcast.biz. Hi, Steve. Hey, hey. I thought there was more to cover. And um, whatever we did cover, I think I just forgot about. So it's, it'll be fun to talk about it again for me. That's all right. Reviewing is a very important part of the learning process. Yes. And also with us this time around, as if that's a new thing, it's Mr. James the Professor Messer of James of, of JamesProfessorMesser.com. Of <laughs> ProfessorMesser.com. Hi, James. I am very much looking forward to learning more about what it is to be a good podcast host. Good. Good. Perfect. Perfect diction, James. Do as we say. Not as we do. <laughs> Look at that stare. <laughs> unless he mute, unless he muted his audio or video, that was no. priceless, guys. You guys got to tune was, in live. That was the Manson stare. All he needed was a swastika on his forehead. He'd be perfect. Just a normal day for me. <laughs> so what's going on, guys, on this uh, week leading up to Halloween? When this show comes out, it'll be Halloween. So boo, spooky, scary stuff. All right, like so, black cats, like scary cats. Yes, yeah, scary black cats. Speaking of cats, <laughs> thank you for that lead in, James. Um, <laughs> I have a. I'm That's stressed. what we call a transition. It was beautiful. <laughs> you need to Damn, learn the art one. of the transition. He's a pro. Um, I have two. Oh, no, I have. A, I had a sick cat, and um, she. I have to give her this drug that's so unbelievably bitter that she just foams at the mouth literally like a fountain when I give it to her. Not an allergic foaming, like she drools. She just drools like crazy. So I'm like, oh, no problem. I'll just grind it up and put it in her food. That didn't work. Oh, no problem. I'll buy one of those little pill pockets and throw it in there and she'll chew on it. She won't even know it's in there. That didn't work. Um, let me just get it in liquid form. That didn't work. Let's see what else didn't work. Everything didn't work. I, my last <laughs> resort is wrap her up in a towel, pry her mouth open, and throw it into the back of her throat. So I have to do that twice a day, and uh, she hates it. And since I love my cat so much, it's stressful for me. <laughs> this, is, this is the worst of my problems, so I can't complain too bad. But um, yeah, so that kind of sucked. Have and you I, thought my other, I thought my other one was sick today too, but it turns out she's not, so I'm super happy again. Have you ever had to give a cat a shot, Steve? No, but I heard that's easier than doing this. I've heard. This is I've vodka I've read or rum or what kind of? <laughs> I, have I, you, Mark? I did some work uh, with the Humane Society when I was younger, and we used to vaccinate cats uh, fairly regularly, and they have the toughest skin of any animal ever. Really? It, I, it was not uncommon to totally break a needle while tr trying to give a cat a shot. And what? they have a high threshold for pain, right? Like, were they all pissed off when you were doing it or didn't even feel it? Well, they didn't like the fact that I had them by the neck and was trying to stick them, but the actual stick didn't bother them all that much. Huh. That's amazing. You know, I, I, I feel bad that these little guys are going through pain, but they probably don't, they probably don't think that way than I do. Uh, they just think, oh, servant, bring me more food. Exactly. How dare you, servant, stick that down my throat? <laughs> 
So, James, you ever given a, sh- a cat a shot? <laughs> since we're no, but it sounds a lot like a politician. They've got a tough skin. They've got a high tolerance to pain. And they're just irritated with you all the time. <laughs> and expect you to serve them. It's perfect. I very much expect that. Um, so, uh, just a little interesting tidbit that I learned last week. Uh, this week, Actually, I should have saved this for the end, for the lesson you learned, because I don't have a lesson you learned, but I am put it in the notes here, so this is where I'm going to say it. Um, we've talked before about the importance of making sure you have your uh, uh, bit rates on your files synchronized. Um, yes. And this last week, James and, and Steve, we had some audio issues when we were using Skype, so they sent me um, their own recordings. Aha. Did James, James use 48? James used 48K. That's what I use in my office. For video. Yep. Uh, and I did 44.1 and Steve did 44.1. I, th- <laughs> I threw that in Audacity. It said okay and handled it just fine. I didn't have to do any conversion. I didn't have to do anything. It, it kind of blew me away because uh, I saw that and I was like, oh, man, this is going to be a big deal. Uh, but no, it was nothing. It just said, right, fine, I'll play this one at 48 and I'll play this one at 44.1. No big deal. And it synced up perfectly, eh? Yeah. Oh, you did you listen all the way to the end? I did. I did. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, that's the important check, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you can see the waveform right there at the uh, right. on the thing, and it was exactly. And, and in fact, I tried. Uh, I clicked the little button because you can do a conversion, and I made it forty-four one, and it stretched out like ten minutes too long nice. when I did that. So hmm. I went back, and so yeah. So if you're using Audacity, turns out it handles that like a champ. Hmm. Huh. Very cool. Who knew? Good tip. So, James, when you send me tonight's file at 48K, it won't be a problem. Oh, I should have mixed it up to be something completely different then. I missed an opportunity. I didn't know. 88.2. Right. Something crazy. (laughs) Yeah, let's just torture test that sucker. Let's see what happens. (laughs) See how that goes. So, are you uh, done with your gear acquisition, James, or are you still working on it? Oh, we're just starting this particular, what what I like to call nightmare of of what what is next in studio messer studios version 3.0 but i got in i did get something this week that i have been i have been waiting i guess literally for years to finally get integrated into my office up to this point and it's kind of hard for those watching the stream you really can't see it but i have in my office hold on james is getting well, something this was not well planned out, but I have in my office tons of hard drive uh, connections that are ah. these external hard drive. This is a Thermaltake docking station that connects via USB that I use. I can plug in both two and a half and th- and or three and a half inch discs uh, hard drives to this. We call um, them toasters at Podnuts, and 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 it makes sense because when you plug everything into them, they very much look like a bunch of toasters with the hard drive sticking out of them. Um, and I, and this is one of those things that you start off in podcasting and mine, especially with video, I use a lot of storage and you start off with a couple of these and think, this is great. I got a couple of these. And then you fill up the first two and you realize, Oh, I need more drives. So you order some more drives and then you have four drives in your office. And then those fill up in, I don't know, five minutes. And so you order some more drives. So I have. Um, like, like rabbits, a set of hard drives in my <laughs> office 
that are just kind of scattered everywhere. It's one of those things where you open a drawer and a hard drive pops out. Um, so I've got a lot of these hanging around. And so finally, for the first time, I have managed to get a NAS, a network, uh, network accessible network address storage that I can use to store everything in a RAID array, which provides redundancy. It's on a gigabit Ethernet link. I can do jumbo frames. It's a fast storage, always on retrieval to the network. It doesn't use my USB ports or my firewire ports or anything else. So finally, I've got that I saved up and and pinched my pennies and finally got a, a one of these from Synology. It's their 1512 plus. They're uh, their DS1512 plus that has just a five slot uh configuration there. And boy, it, what a what a difference in having that that storage there always on, always available. It is it is redundant. So I can lose a drive and simply replace it and I still have all my data. And then now I can use these little drives I've got scattered all over the place for backups that I can take off site. But what a difference in managing your media and instead of doing backups on demand, scheduling backups to your network attached storage, just a a huge difference. That's awesome. What kind of speed are you getting out of that? Well, the speed is uh, somewhere around when you when you max it out with the 900 byte jumbo frames, um, you should be getting somewhere around 200 megabytes per second when it's reading and writing to this thing. So it's it's plenty fast and plenty of CPU and a very nice front end to be able to manage this thing as well. I was really impressed with the management of it because sometimes that's where a lot of this home office stuff falls short. Uh, but but this one is it seems to be uh, extremely easy to set up. I plugged everything in. I turned it on. It worked. Uh, I want to turn on some additional capabilities. I click a button. It works. Uh, there's capabilities in this device I'm not even using. Uh, I can use it as a proxy. It can be set up to be my uh, my time sync for the entire office. I can have this set up to uh, point it to a torrent. It will download the torrent behind the scenes directly to the drive, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um not even using that part of it. I just needed storage. Um, and it certainly seems to fit the bill. In fact, I couldn't fill it all the way up. I, I, I bought all the drives uh, that Amazon had. So I'm waiting this week for one more drive to come in to fill the whole thing up. And then I'll be completely up and running with all, all five bays. How much uh, was it, James? It was a lot. It was, <laughs> it was a lot. Um, 700? The 1512 empty, I think was 700, 800, somewhere in there. Yeah. And the, the drives themselves are the, I'm using the Western digital red drives, which are specifically designed for network storage on oh, these cool. types of devices. So, um, those, those have, and they're three terabyte drives and they're $180 or something like that a piece. They're Jeez, a little bit man. more expensive than normal three terabyte drives, but ideally they're made to do network yes. storage. So th- those extra capabilities I'm willing to pay for as long as those drives keep running. Yeah. The, uh, the server grade hard drives that are designed to spin constantly for six years are a lot more expensive, but worth every penny of it. Because you think, you know, I lose a drive, they replace it. No big deal. Yeah, but you lost your data too, and you lost the time that it was up. So, yeah, the thing I don't want to have happen is, and of course, that's the the challenge when you're, you have all this data that's on this redundant system. 
don't lose two drives at a time. That's yes. that's what you don't want to have happen. So, of course, doing this, I recognize for everybody who's planning to write me the email, I know this isn't a backup system. This is a storage system. I have a separate backup, as I mentioned, that will be done and done off-site. So, trust me. And then on top of that, of course, there is I have multiple drives in here. And I plan on setting up this analogy. It has kind of a, a Dropbox-type capability where I can sync all of the devices in my in my studio all with the Synology so they're all keep all the files updated all the time on their local storage as well. Yeah, that was geek moment right there. This Love it. this bit of geekery brought to you by professormesser.com. <laughs> Love it. So this is in fact we'll talk more about this but um you know next is audio and next is video. So I plan on doing some more upgrades and we'll just have to see how that goes. One of the upgrades uh, is something that occurred this week um, that I'll talk about at the end of the show. Nice. Just by the way, uh, whatever upgrades he do, does, he does, uh, will not affect the quality of the video that I'm producing because he's sending it to me through my cheap stuff. So don't expect him to get suddenly better on this show. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to confuse me with sending anything better on this show. <laughs> you get what you get, right? So, um, so we need to move on to a little bit of listener feedback. Uh, I like it when we get that, even if it's people telling me I'm wrong. I'm quite accustomed to people telling me I'm wrong, so it doesn't bother me in the least. Uh, but we start out tonight with a fellow by the name of Rateo, who wants to, quote, set the record straight. Uh, he says, I'm just writing to provide a correction to some inaccuracies regarding our, our door, which we mentioned uh -oh. last week. Number one. I said, our door is not free. It's freely available, but it's not expected that you continue to use it for free. And uh, he writes, our door is completely open source, licensed under the terms of the GNU, GNU GPL, meaning uh, not that not only is it free, it's also completely open sourced. It's licensed in such a way that should Paul Davis, the maker of our door, decide to say, I'm not taking making this open source anymore, then every single contributor of the code can say, if you do that, then you can't use my code in your work. This means that Paul would have to backtrack and rewrite every piece of code in our door that he didn't write himself or gain permission to use. Well, you're probably, well, let me stop right there. Um, yes, that is correct. It is a GPL piece of software. You can take it and do whatever you want to with it. However, I stand by my initial assertion, the expectation is that you pay for it. Therefore, I don't consider it a free piece of software. Just because I can get it for free doesn't mean that I consider it free. If the guy who makes it is trying to make his living off of it and expect some money for it, I don't consider it free. So you are absolutely technically correct. Now, actually, to not to, I hate to jump into the middle of someone who's trying to um, to say someone on the internet is wrong because I truly do appreciate um, <laughs> that. That's a valuable um, service that people but, provide. But as a Mac OS X user, our door is not free for me to use if i choose not to pay nothing for our door then i get a demo version and it does not have the ability to save audio unit plugin settings well you could then take this source code that's freely available and compile your own version for mac so you could oh, do that i i or you can use, can you use vsts instead of AUs? I certainly i could certainly grab the source code and compile it myself yes yes so that's, that's what Rateo is saying, and he is not wrong. He is absolutely right. If you want to do that, you can. My assertion is podcasters don't want to be compiling code 
they want to be podcasting. So uh, Paul Davis, who writes our door, has been been very public about the fact that he wants you to pay for it. So I consider so it's not it quite as not free, free and as open as let's say any other package you might find that purports to be GNU licensed, open sourced, et cetera. Because those two things, by the way, GNU licensed, open source don't necessarily mean that the product is absolutely true. free. That's true. What it means is that uh, they have to give you the source code if you ask for it. Yes. It doesn't necessarily mean they can't charge you for it. They can charge you uh, $1,100 for the CD if they want. They can do that. Um, so anyway, so uh, next he says, what you're probably thinking of is Harrison Mixbus, um, which uh, is a, a system that uses Ardor. He says, even that system uh, in Ardor uh, is, even in that system, Ardor is free. It's the Harrison plugins, which provide the advanced DSP and mixer controls that you pay for. Which Harrison Mixbus looks freaking awesome, by the it way. It does. I'm- it does. All right, and then number two, I made the statement that our, uh, our door takes over your machine. He asked, what exactly does that mean? Well, I'll tell you. Um, my experience with our door is as a DAW, as a digital audio workstation on a dedicated piece of hardware. It, it, it's true that you can use our door and other things at the same time, but that is not the intended function of the device, uh, of the software, D- just like Pro Tools. It's intended to be the Loaded. only thing that runs on your machine, the only thing that you interface with. So that's what I mean. Um, and he says, I use all, all, Ardor all the time as a single component of a larger framework. Its creator is also the creator of the Jack platform, so you need to grasp Jack to take full advantage of Ardor. But even that's not so hard to figure out for anyone who knows enough to chain together enough analog audio gear. It's just in the case of Jack... The cables are just lines in a front end. I've written an article outlining the use of our door as part of our larger podcasting setup that includes Skype and the ability to transmit a stream to Shoutcast or Icecast servers. This particular layout is pretty advanced, but in this case, our door is a single piece of a larger framework. And he put the link there, and I'll put it in our notes as well. I hope that clarifies things. I'm not saying you have to use it, but as a major user of Ardor, as well as a blogger and advocate of Linux production tools in general, I wanted to set the record straight on the program. Retail, you, know, you have done so. I really like the the idea the, of of the person who put together this this Ardor digital audio workstation as a way to monetize their product. I'm, um, I, I you don't see people thinking that way very often. I don't know as somebody who is uh, a Mac OS 10 user. Um, and going to that website and downloading the product, I get a crippled product. But if I was a Linux user, I would get a fully functional product. Um, but that's not the point. The point is he gets to decide how he wants to monetize the product. And whether I like it or not is how the the entire uh, world will react to the business model. And he'll he maybe that's fine with him um or not and i even like on his website at the bottom he even has a a ticker going by that says well if you bought sonar that's 250 dollars and if you bought saw studio 300 to 2500 and if you brought bought pro tools 200 to 7000 dollars so he's kind of reminding you that i'm just asking for a couple of bucks here if you uh help me out it really helps the whole thing going forward so i don't know that i like the business model he set up, but that's not the point. I just like that. He's doing that with this. So there you go. Um, 
I, I would say I stand corrected, but I still think I'm right. <laughs> it's just we're, we're just talking about different terms. I was distilling things down to its core. And uh, the basic principle, if the guy writing the software wants money for it, I don't consider it free. Plain and simple. I'm, I'm on the site now, too. Um, it, it does look like a really capable, uh, capable and competent program. It, I'm, look, I'm just comparing it to my doll, and it looks like it's pretty full-featured. So um, if you can swing using our door, how much does he want? Do you, have to, you just donate whatever amount you want to him, or does he's, there a set amount? He says pay what you would pay for an equivalent piece of software and leaves it at that. Ah. And huh. the box is already filled in to 45 bucks U.S. Really? Mine's set to 25 well, I'm he, Mac OS 10 user, and according to him, I'm an idiot because I don't know how to compile anything, so therefore I should suffer, um, <laughs> and therefore I should pay more. Uh, uh, in fact, it would be interesting to look at the source code to this and see if you're on Mac OS 10, you're paying more than if you're on a different operating system. I'll bet it is. Yes, yeah, it as is. a matter of fact, if you are uh, Linux, let's see if we can find a value associated with these things. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this All looks right. very cool. I, if I did switch over to Linux for as a project or experiment, I would definitely check out Rateo's site, Penguin Producer. He writes crazy good articles that I always read. I always start to read and go, "Wow, when I have time, I'm going to do this," and I never quite do it. But uh, he really lays out a lot of stuff in good detail, and uh, I'm not sure if he's still doing his podcast, but I was enjoying that as well too. It's Penguin yeah. Producer. Everything on his site has a mental TLDR uh, in from me. I started yeah. too long, didn't read. Move on. It's not his fault. <laughs> it's just me. Uh, yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, our door. I I have not really kicked the tires on it. I have me I've played either. with it a little bit, uh, but the people who love it absolutely love it. It's fully functional. It's high quality and rock solid stable, from what I hear. Not fully functional. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and next. We have a voicemail, a bit of listener feedback that I will play for you from our old friend, your friend and mine, the door-to-door geek. Hello, Mark. Hello, Professor. Hello, Steve. This is for the Art of Podcasting. I just want to throw this out there. An uh, alternate reason, or may I say justification, why some people use FeedBurner. Hypothetically, you call James teacher too many times, and he gets really mad and says, no, I'm not teacher, I'm professor, and then he gets, and then he, and then he decides to leave the show, and then you fail to notice, but your domain expired, and some guy named James Messer bought it out from underneath you, or your server gets pwned, and it gets compromised at a shared hosting provider where you have very little input to when this resolution is going to take place. If your podcast feed is being housed at FeedBurner under either one of those circumstances, you can log into the Google interface, redirect it to the new LMNOP.com, and let people know via audio about what happened, why it happened, how it happened. We will be back up. We will not be back up. The server has changed, yada, 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 yada. Right now, if your hosting provider does something wrong and your server's off commission for a week, which isn't probable, I admit, but it is possible, the people in your audience feed will just see a dead feed and they'll think Element OP might have went away. 
that's just a devil's advocate thing I had to throw out there. Uh, I got to really thank you guys for the good show. Keep it up. Keep uh, bringing up the good topics. And my resolution to pod save is simple. Start something you know you like and you know you're going to like long term. And it's not an issue. I'd say it's not an issue because I'm the master of my own domain. All right. So uh, that's uh, a bit of a contrived example of how you might uh, run into trouble hosting your own RSS feed. Uh, well, you say contrived. While that, that was going on, I went and uh, and noticed your domain had expired, and I got the elementop.com domain, so it's now mine. So not so contrived now, is it? <laughs> uh, it hasn't been. In fact, I have it on auto-renew. It will never <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I think you'd have to, that's a pretty significant, uh, series of events that would have to take place before feed burner would be a savior in that situation. Um, I would say it's more likely that a URL you don't control, such as feedburner.com is going to go away than a URL that you control and are daily maintaining is going to go away. But there you go. Uh, I can't say that there was anything incorrect in what Dor said, it's just a bit of a stretch. Great color commentary, guys. Thanks for jumping in on that one. The flexibility of of this d- still applies, though. I think, and I have I have been one of these people that have started off on one provider, gone to another, gone to another, and gone to another. And as I've hopped around to the different hosts, you always have these challenges when you're hopping around to those that um, you're moving a domain name. Sometimes the DNS updates around the globe don't exactly update all at the same time. It takes a number of days to to, for those caches to time out and for your new IP addresses to get propagated. And uh, this is a similar similar scenario to what Dora was mentioning. If you've got the RSS hosted somewhere else, you don't even have to worry about that part. It's true. Yes, days. And in the in the chat room, they're going, really? It could take days for an IP address to propagate? Yes, because the if somebody has grabbed that and it's in a local DNS cache, it could sit there as long as two days. And, yeah, they say uh, on average 72 out. hours Yeah, for it to propagate completely. Yeah, it has to time out of that cache so that a new request can be made, and the new request would obviously be at the new site. Now, just a word. Uh, I think there are a lot of people who are worried about uh, domain sniping, and it's, it does happen like that, but it's actually pretty darn hard to lose your domain. Yeah. If you if you don't renew your domain, it goes into a defunct domain uh, bin for I think sixty days. James, is that right? I, and, off the uh, top of my head, I wanted to say thirty, but maybe it yeah, is sixty. Okay, yeah. so thirty days. So at any point in thirty days, the last registrant of it can come up and say, "Oh, that's mine. I want it back." So it's not producing traffic. That's true. It's not. It's dead to the world. But um, you don't just lose it right away. And then after, which I hate, which I hate because that happened to me. I wanted to buy a domain. I knew it was going to, when it was going to expire. The person didn't renew it after the date it expired, and I'm like, "Cool, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it." And then he got it after, in that 30 right. day period, so he was safe. But even after that, um, 30 days expires. There's another uh, period where it goes to auction, um, and before it's released back to like GoDaddy and those guys to sell, it, it goes to an auction. And if you bid in the auction, you get preference as the person who last owned the domain. So there, there's there are a lot of steps you have to go through to lose a domain. It's not something you just wake up one morning and it's gone. 
But if that happened, Dora would be absolutely right. <laughs> so uh, anything else, guys, before we move on to how to be a better podcast host? Because I need to know how to be a better podcast host. I'm hoping you guys can teach me. <laughs> no, absolutely. nothing else. What's the first thing we got there? Uh, it says be as fake as possible because that's what the internet likes. Yes. I'll tell a little story. I'll tell a little story. Because this was my basically my idea, guys, and I, I put some stuff in the show notes that I uh that's been actually happening not to me, but in a podcast that I really enjoy. Um there's a podcast that just started that I really enjoy, but he just started the podcast. You could tell he's never hosted before, and he's trying as hard as he can, and he's doing, I think, a great job and a good show, but there's certain points that I notice and I say, wow, if he would have done this, I think he would have done a little better. And as he's doing these, what I consider out points, I'm marking them down. And the first thing he's trying to do is he actually interviewed me for one of his, one of his shows. And I talked to him before he actually started recording and we're having this great conversation. And then he's like, okay, you ready to record? And I said, yeah, let's do it. So he starts recording and then he turns on the host. His personality kind of changed into now he's the host personality. And it was kind of a little odd for me. I'm like, I liked, you know, let's call him Bob. I liked Bob before and now he's, it's, he's acting a little fake. So the, note, the thing I put in the notes is be real, be yourself. Don't try to put on like a fake beingness because it doesn't go over that well in podcasting. If you're real, you know, you're just going to have a conversation with somebody and it's going to flow. And uh, I wish he would have been a little more real. Now, he's getting better and better every episode because I've been listening to it, to this and he does like five episodes a week. So he's on episode like 70 now and he's doing great. But Holy in the cow. beginning, he was doing being very fake, thinking he had to put on this kind of fake beingness to be the host and be respected as the host. And I don't, I don't agree with that. Just be yourself. Yeah. Right? And, and <clears throat> when I do the intro to the show and I put on the big radio voice, uh, that you could say that's a little bit of fakeness, but no, that's who I really am. That's what I actually do on a regular basis. No, uh, but yeah, when you get to the actual communicate, what we're doing here, um, I, I've said this so many times, there's no information you can bring that somebody else on the internet isn't providing better. The only thing you really have to bring to the table that is better than anybody else can, can be is you. Nobody can be a better you than you. So really focus on that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, it's, it's going to get tiring trying to be somebody else day in and day out every podcast you do. So if you are yourself, you'll become more and more comfortable as you do more shows and it'll, it'll all smooth out. It'll, it'll get good. If you want to know how not to act, tune into that part of the six o'clock local newscast where the, the newscasters have to talk to each other about what yeah. they did oh, over the weekend. Yeah. It is so painful and so awful because they don't know how to talk to each other with a camera in front of them. And yet they do this every night. I don't know why the tonight's so different than the other. So what did you do this weekend? Well, I went out to the fair. <laughs> and there was, that wasn't funny. What just happened there? And let's go to the Bob with the weather. Um, you don't even know what they're thinking about. That is just not the way you could ever have anyone think that you're being realistic. And of course, if you're on a podcast and talking about something that you feel is important, it certainly would be nice if people would take you seriously. James, I even think the watch the whole newscast if you want to see <laughs> example of what not to do. Um, they are the fakest people that I, I can even think of. So yeah, 
good good, good example I love it when something goes wrong during the newscast because they absolutely do not know what to do. And they'll never say, gosh, we're sorry, everyone. We, we just really messed that one up. Why don't we go through this process again? Let's try to run that story again and see what happens. Instead, they just they stare at the camera thing. Right. And, and let's go to Bill with the sports. <laughs> one of the funniest things is uh, doing a YouTube search for newscaster bloopers or <laughs> weatherman bloopers. They're, they're classic. Don't, yeah. don't go like that. <laughs> I uh, I'm going to single out a guy uh, in the Dallas market. I don't think he I don't know if he's there anymore or not. His name is Scott Sams. Uh and I was watching one night there was this big news story that dropped in the local D- uh, Dallas area and I can't remember uh what it was. Something was burning or something and and uh no, now I remember it was uh, a tornado smacked downtown Fort Worth, which like never happens. A huge tornado ripped out like some big uh high-rise buildings. And it was this whole developing story. And at one point, you know, they were trying to do live footage and all that. And he was talking on the air and he stopped and he said, just a minute, my producer's talking. And then he started talking back to the producer. And that one moment, that like five seconds made me appreciate him more than any of the fake stuff he'd ever done because he was overwhelmed at that moment and he showed it. And he was like, I, I, <laughs> I can't do this. I can't be fake. I can't read this cue card. There's something important coming in. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna admit that for just a minute. So you don't ever see that on television, but when people no. do that, it's really refreshing. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's why one of the things, the reasons I like podcasts more than watching TV, because a lot of people like to just be real, and I I'm into that. And you certainly get a lot more. Of that. That's almost the expectation in a podcast. You know, I, Steve Jobs famously called podcasting amateur hour. Um, and that's, uh, I wear that moniker. I'm okay with that. Uh, because I'm, I'm not a trained studio professional. Uh, I have not had years of experience in doing things the right way. I do them my way and people either like it or they don't. And that's one of the beautiful things about podcasting. That's why you hopefully chose to be a podcast so that you can do things, um, your way with your own personality, which is the right way. That is the right way. I think, yeah. That way, if you fail, you know it's really you. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing to blame but myself. That's, That's awesome. right. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up is uh, when people, and I, I think it's a, a part and parcel of being the the host, is they're um, they're overly active in their listening. Uh, I. I mentioned a while back that I studied physics for a while. I actually have a degree in counseling. Yeah, there's nothing I didn't study. I was in school forever. Clearly. Um, but uh, one of the things that, one of the skills that they taught us uh, in, in counseling is active listening. And active listening, we all do it every day. It's when somebody's talking, you say, uh huh. Right. Yeah, I get that. And the, the, the little verbal feedback that says, I'm with you, I'm here. And you read that. So, so what I hear you saying is this sometimes podcasters, go way overboard with that and they can't let a guy say a sentence without them saying "Uh uh-huh uh-huh right Uh uh-huh yeah yeah Uh uh-huh right Uh uh-huh uh-huh yeah 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 right Uh uh-huh don't do that (laughs) that is so incredibly annoying but i think people think they're supposed to do that yeah you got to use you can that's a tool uh-huh. you use that as a tool to get right. people to keep talking right and then when you want them to stop uh-huh. you give them a full acknowledgement like right like thank you mark <laughs> like that yeah <laughs> i hear you and understand you 
You could shut up now. <laughs> Pretty much. That's yeah, full that acknowledgement, you know? There, uh, there's right? a uh, there's a great entertainer, comedian, and, and someone who's really taking, uh, uh, in many ways, podcasting and internet publishing by storm. And he's been on traditional radio for a very long time. His name's Phil Hendry, um, and he broadcasts out of L.A. He, he can be found at uh, philhendryshow.com. Um, and he does, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but there's a guest on his show that he has very often. Margaret Gray, I think, is the one who does this. And as people are talking to Margaret, they're calling in and talking to Margaret. She will constantly go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And to the point that that it enrages the people who are calling in, who will just stop what they're doing and say, would you please stop saying that so I can say something? Really? Um, and I, and it's, it's, it is fantastic. Uh, definitely do your YouTube searches for Phil Hendry and uh and have a listen to some of his material which are are <laughs> are genius in, in some of the stuff he does is absolutely phenomenal because he he catches he touches on those things that that we're talking about here about people not being real about people perhaps uh interacting with people in the wrong way by mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it is it is quite remarkable how he uses those things we use every day and yet turns them around in a way that completely irritates the people who are calling in uh quite quite interesting to see and of course hits right to the point of that particular thing that we're we're mentioning of of people using those those verbal cues so that's her shtick or does she not know she's doing mm-hmm. it no she, she I guess you could say Margaret doesn't know she's doing that, but okay. that's just Margaret who's talking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome. When, when I like it, when people do the thing that they're not supposed to do so perfectly that, you know, they can't be doing it on an accident. <laughs> right. And that's, that's good humor right there. <clears throat> uh, should we do the next point? Um, yeah, I had something I was going to say, but I don't remember what it was. So uh, sure. Go ahead. All right. Um, another thing I'm, I noticed this host does, and I, I hope he's not listening to this because I don't want to embarrass him or anything. And that's why I'm using his name. But I just this, have to this say, will he's be Bob. Improved, yeah, Bob has improved immensely, and I, I enjoy his show so much. I actually emailed him and said, Here, "Here's a couple things that I would recommend that you do." And he's like, "I'm on my 70th show. I only I'm only released show 23, so you haven't heard me at show 70." He's like, "But thank you for the feedback. I'll take it, and I know that I'm." I'm working on it and getting better. Anyway, the second thing is uh, he he it accentuates words kind of – this is kind of like a little bit of the first one with fakeness. But he accentuates words and puts on a, a bit of a pretended excitement like, welcome to the show. I'm so happy that you're here. Those kind of things. And uh, again, that that just really gets picked up by the listener too easy. It's just It comes across a little too pretended. And that turns people off too. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna see? blow past the point of you commenting on flow on show twenty something, and he's saying he actually is on seventy and just hasn't published them yet. Uh, but but you but you hear this all the time, not just on podcasts, but you'll be on hold. You're waiting. You've pressed number one to speak to whatever, and number two to do the thing you're supposed to do, and then they say, "Thank you for holding. The representative will be with you shortly." And they, they enunciate every single oh, syllable yeah. of what they are saying. And it's, it's, it. and you do hear that with certain podcasters that are, that are sort of just getting into it. They don't know. They can just 
freely talk about what they're talking about. And sometimes you say, um, and sometimes you say, okay, and you don't have to say representative. (laughs) I would, uh, uh, sort of a corollary to that. Never read a script when podcasting. If you can't do a show without a script, you're not ready to do that show. I hate it when I go, when I listen to a show and it's obvious that they're reading because people read differently than they speak um to you know to to pick on a friend of the show ryan canestro um when he does some of his uh bits his prepared bits it's obvious that he's reading but when he and and john are just talking it's a totally different sort of thing um and that is a turnoff for me because unless you are just brilliant at reading conversationally which is incredibly difficult to do don't read take notes follow your notes don't read absolutely what yeah, we talked about that a little people do that it's because it's very 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 common not just for podcasts but for corporate events and corporate presentations and oh. and those things and certainly people hear that it's a little bit forced they don't have the uh courage to think that they could just wing it or remember what things i guess right yeah maybe so most of the time those people though are exceptionally knowledgeable in what they're talking about now a guy giving an acceptance speech at an award i can forgive him he's not a professional speaker but when you start up a podcast you are putting yourself in the role of professional speaker whether you are or not that that's what you're saying to the world here i am i'm here to speak to you for a half hour 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 and a half whatever it is um and so listen to me and you're you're sort of writing a set of rules there that you have to follow and I yeah. would say one of those rules is don't read. I agree. Or if you are, if you do have to read something like you're trying to read some a bit of news or an article, then make sure you, you kind of make it known that you're reading that, and then you just then you start talking and making comments about it personally, you know, from you. But the reading, like even on TV, this is just a nightmare when people are reading because the communication stops between them and the paper or the sign or whatever they're reading. The cute the. What God, what are those things that they put up in front Q of the cards? president? Oh, uh, no, the prompter, teleprompter. Like prompter. Yeah, teleprompter. Um, yeah. So the the communication is not going to the crowd. It's going be- between whoever's speaking and the teleprompter, and that's where it gets kind of stuck. You can practice and be able to communicate something you're reading to somebody else, but like what Mark said, it's incredibly difficult, and it, it's a drill. You got to drill it. But uh, and and even so, if you get good at that, I would still recommend not reading a script. Just, just practice not doing it. That's, I yeah. think that's just an evolutionary step. When I started doing training videos, I had very, very scripted videos that I would have my talent uh, say in front of a camera. It wasn't me. So I'd write everything down word for word, and they would know nothing about the topic. But they would say the topic. They would talk all about it. They were completely knowledgeable. But it was a scripted, and you can listen to it here, and it's very, very scripted how it was written. Uh, but... It's one of those things where you just have to keep doing it over and over and over again until you're comfortable talking to just a camera that's sitting in the room. That's that is such a hard thing or a, talking to a microphone that's sitting in front of you that's recording. Um, it, it's it's it freezes people. And I think they need that crutch or they think they need that crutch to be able to get through that. But it's just a matter of time. You become more and more comfortable with what you're doing and the process of talking into this metal machine or looking at the camera. And after a while, it just becomes second nature. And then it's then it's your fault. You said something stupid. <laughs> All comes back to you. And if, if you 
treat your guests kind of that way too. I know we talked about guests and it's a little bit of a different subject, but if you let your guests know that you're not reading a script, you don't have to, you don't have this strict structure of your show that he have to adhere to and you just want to have a conversation with him, um, then he loosens up and is able to talk into his mic real easy as well. And it, it goes super smooth from that point on. And, and to that end, when you're interviewing somebody, don't follow a script. Follow the conversation. Yes, exactly. Um, that, that's another thing that Bob was doing was you could tell he had like 10 questions that he just had to ask every single person he had on his show. And a, a person would come on a show, a great guest, and he would give a great story and you'd be all interested in it. And then this, then Bob would acknowledge him for telling that story and then move on to the next question. Even though like it, there's so many different branches you could have went off of, of that story to keep it interesting and just have a conversation. Like there's a couple of his guests that said something and he acknowledged them, but he, you could tell he wanted to move on to the next question, but I wanted to hear more about what that guy was saying. And um, I think a good uh, host should pull that extra information out and say, you know, screw my, my show structure, screw my questions. This conversation's going great. We're going to keep talking about this and then just, just have a conversation as if you're hanging out with the person and just talking to them, not even on, not, not even on camera or not even recording. Those are the podcasts I think flow the best. And, and sort of uh, hand in hand with that, don't be wigged out about the time. Don't think that you have to get this conversation over in 50 minutes or I've started a clock. This show's going to go an hour. If the conversation takes you to an hour and a half, go. Your audience won't mind a long podcast because they're enjoying the conversation. And there is no time limit. It's not like you're being a, putting put in a prime time slot or anything. You have all the time in the world. You guys ever yeah. see Craig Ferguson do an interview? The guy late night with uh, Craig Ferguson on CBS. I have. Now he is he is the master of not using notes. In fact, he makes a a, a whole show of it. People laugh when he does this, but he has cards in front of him when he introduces the person or just before prior to the person coming out he's reviewing what's on the cards in front of him but when he brings the guest out and they sit down he rips up the cards in front of them and throws the little pieces of the card <laughs> over his shoulder and at that point on they're talking and and he's 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 it is a, it is a skill to sit down and do that type of thing but at that point the conversation flows wherever the conversation flows and yes he knows some high points that are on those cards but he's not reading them he's not directing the conversation to them and i would imagine sometimes he never even gets to what's on the cards because some of those interviews turn out to be kind of crazy letterman but, uh, is also really good at following a conversation he'll have a, he'll have a card he'll ask the question and then if the the answer to the question is not what he was expecting he will chase that rabbit Oh yeah. Yeah. They, the best ones really are good at that. I'll tell you, um, I've had most of my success in podcasting doing just that. I, I actually ask the questions that I am most interested in personally. I mean, I guess it's a little selfish of me, but it works out because I'm the interviewer and I'm going to ask what I'm interested in. And it, it just happened to be that what I was interested in was what was most of my listeners were interested in as well. And they always, I do get this email every time, all, all the time. They'd be like, dude, you asked the exact question I was thinking of when he was talking. Like, and I've gotten that email so many times and that's just because I was having a conversation and not trying to stick to a structure. Nice. Yeah, Stephanie in the chat room says, I, uh, I hate it when people don't answer a question directly. Um, well, sometimes there's not a direct answer. Sometimes an indirect answer is more interesting. But 
Um, if the tone of your podcast and the setting of your podcast is such that you need to press for an answer, don't be afraid to do that. Um, none of the shows I do really require that. It's not hard-hitting journalism. I'm not going to uh, you know, push somebody. But occasionally, I've run into a situation where it's like, wait, wait, wait. I'm not going to let you back away from that. I ask you a question. I need to know the answer because it's important. Uh, and that's your job as a host. Because like Steve said, the listener is out there wanting the answer to that question. You are their representative. You represent right. the listener on your show. And you've got to do things in their best interest. Right. It's so easy to go off on a tangent, with, with I call it Q&A, where you ask something, he gives a diversion, you follow that diversion, then he follows that diversion, and you just you never, ever get to the answer to the real question. So it's, a, it's a, again, another skill you have to learn getting your questions answered. I like blue. Sometimes green is nice, too. <laughs> no, it's very important to me. What is, what, here's a question I have for her. Why aren't you wearing a polo shirt tonight? You always wear a polo shirt on this show. No, your team is going to be upset there, James. Oh, your you mean my, what I'm wearing on, when the, nobody can see when they're listening to yes. the uh, yeah. the podcast? Well, it's cold in Florida now, so now it's it's sweaters and and the yeah, fireplace yes. is up. Yeah, I, I, quick story about that. My seven year old was running around there today, going, "It's so cold, it's freezing." She got out her big winter coat with the with the down filly. It was fifty five degrees here today. That's not exactly frigid. In a few months, when it gets up to 55, she'll be like, oh, it's so warm. I don't even need my coat. I'm going to go outside in shorts. But uh, that's the way we Southerners handle the first blast of winter when it comes. It's, uh, it's ah. 54 right now, and um, it's, it's sad. We probably lost a few people today. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm, I'm with James. I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, it's freezing today. And it's, I'm, I'm more south than James, actually. So Our, our thoughts are with their families. It's so difficult to uh, to be a southerner sometimes. Um, and the next one you have in here, uh, Steve, I'm going to lead you into, and that is talk about what is interesting to you, because nobody wants to hear you if you're bored. Yes, that's probably the main reason why you should talk about what's interesting to you, because otherwise you will be bored. And yeah, that's that's the you nailed it. That's the main reason why I put that in there. Plus, and it makes you, like Dor said, you won't pod fade if you keep it interesting and talk about what's interesting to you. It'll make a better show. I actually had a guest on, on one of my shows one time after it was over, uh, and he was, uh, he was a guy who would talk in circles and meander around, and I had a hard time focusing him. You know, and I consider myself a fairly skilled interviewer. Uh, I can generally move people in, in a good direction and, 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 and find a transition, but he was just like wrang, uh, wrangling a cat it just wasn't going to happen uh like trying to give a cat a shot um he uh at the end of the show when we were wrapping it up just talking after we stopped recording he said yeah i got a little bored during the middle of that uh, i don't I, I can see how that <laughs> i was like well if you were bored why did you keep doing it uh because he was just rambling on about minutia so yeah if you find yourself getting bored stop it <laughs> he was bored and he was doing all the talking yeah he was the That's interviewer hilarious. he was the one yeah he said i was it got a little bored uh and it was an hour show that should have been a 45 minute show there's 50 yeah. minutes of it that just didn't need to be there i know what you mean yes that's and, that, and actually that's a good point to to buttress what i said earlier about going long it's okay to put out a 20 minute podcast too don't stretch it to an hour just because you think you got to fill an hour if you run out of content say good night and move along yes, Absolutely. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. I got a little bored there. I wasn't um, <laughs> paying attention. Dead air, gentlemen. Dead air. 
Um, and the next one that you have in the notes here, <laughs> I love this one. This this is actually a personal pet peeve of mine. Um, Steve says, don't barrage the listener with two minutes of ads before the show. Get to the content fast or you'll lose new listeners. Yeah, I think it stands that if you you know the show and you know the content's coming, you can you'll withstand some ads. You'll sit there and go, or at least fast forward and go, oh, I, I know the content's coming. I'll, I'll listen to this. But as a new listener, I can't tell you how many podcasts I've ne- I never listened to the content because I never got to the content because I didn't want, I got through about 30 seconds to a minute of ads. And I said, I'm not going to listen to this show because I just wasted a minute of my time. So I, I was always, especially with the show pod Nuts daily, I did I just went into it so fast. I don't even think I introduced myself sometimes. I said, the title of the show, and I started talking about the content. And then you could put stuff after that. But I think if you, if you hit them with the content first, you got such an advantage of uh, just having their attention that you could, you could put stuff afterwards. Um, you'll lose people if you, if you just put all this stuff before the actual content of the show. But John, don't you think in the United States we're almost trained that way because of broadcast television, and in some cases non non broadcast television, they, they they hit you with a title sequence, and then you sit through two minutes of ads, and then they come back, and finally you start watching a show, and three or four minutes have gone by, you haven't even done anything yet, and gotten anywhere. But, but podcasting isn't the same way. I find it interesting. Some of the more popular podcasts tend to do exactly what you just mentioned, jump into the information, talk about what's there. And then in the middle of the show, they begin talking about what their advertiser is. And they talk about the value of what they're doing. And then they go on to the next topic. You've already sat through 15, 20, 30 minutes of content before you ever got to a point where someone was pitching you anything. Um, and then that's that I think makes for just good content. And I think I think it lends itself better for podcasting as well. Yeah, that's the model I like too. When I was doing ads on my show, when I had sponsors, it was I, about twenty minutes in. I would hit hit them with an ad. It worked out really well. Yeah, I uh, one of the guys that we've talked about many times on the show that that we uh, sort of look up to is the, the the great Leo Laporte, the the grand the godfather of podcasting. Um, we'll do that. You'll be ninety seconds, two minutes in, and there's not been any content. You know, we but we know who provided the bandwidth for the show, and we know uh, what car manufacturer he likes, and we know what uh, book uh, audio book vendor he <laughs> likes, but we don't even know the topic of the show yet. Um, and there's a good reason for that. Vendors want an ad at the beginning of the show, and they pay more for it. Uh, and you can charge more if you say I'm going to get to you, uh, you know, in the first thirty seconds of the show. So. Um, you know, it's it's a business decision he's made, and uh, I think a lot of us just fast forward over that now. Uh, but it's it is what it is. I, I I don't think I would ever do that. Um, I don't know. Maybe if somebody waved a big enough check in front of me, I would. But because I am a listener first and a and a host second, I don't think I would ever do that. I always do this show with a listener's uh, mindset. I think he he can get away with that because he didn't always do that. He, I think he always told who's giving him his bandwidth, but that usually took about three seconds. And he didn't always have huge long ads before his show. It was only after he had several hundred thousand listeners that he was able to pull that off. And I think that's the same with TV too. I mean, you, you know you got an audience that's going to sit through it. Might as well put it in there. But that's the only way I would do it, you know, is after you know you have an established audience. Even then, I prefer 
personally up to it, but I think that's the only way you can kind of get away with it. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, it's, we're talking, nobody listening to the show, I'm assuming, has 200,000 listeners. Because if they were, if they had to do that 100,000 listeners, they wouldn't need advice from us. Uh, so it's just a, a a decision you have to make early on, and I think it's important to make it and stick with it. Yes. I agree with that. <laughs> any what other? Marks, yeah. yeah, I agree with that. Yes. Um, any other comments? That's the last of the things we have in the notes. I don't really have anything specific to add. Uh, anything else that we have to say? No, I think it was pretty uh, rapid-fire tips hitting you there. Hope you liked it, people. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have anything to add, Mark. All right. Well, that was a long roundabout way to say you don't have anything to, to say. Yeah, I just I get tired around this time. Oh, I'm yeah. so bored. So uh, Stephanie in the chat room again brings up an interesting point. Um, says, I think it's good to have a nice speaking voice. I, I don't think we've ever addressed that before on this show. Um, is there uh, a, a physical skill set that one must have to do a podcast? You know, I, I think we, the early on, we said who can do a podcast and who can't. Uh, I think that naturally some people are going to be better at it. You know, if you're well-spoken, certainly that helps because that's what you're doing. You're speaking. Um, if you have uh, a, a good command of language, that's going to be important. But I don't think you really need any of those things to be successful. Maybe it just depends on how you define success. You know, I, 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 I agree to a certain extent with what Stephanie said. Listening to a nice speaking voice is nice, but it's not going to break your podcast. Even if you think you have the worst voice in the world, if your intention to get a point across and communicate there, people will listen to it, you know, as long as you're coherent. Um, if you have a nice kind of smooth whatever voice that people like on top of that, that's a bonus, but it's not a deal breaker. So I, I wouldn't have anybody who thinks that they don't like the sound of their voice, which a lot of people don't like the sound of their voice. Uh, that should not stop you from podcasting. If you have an intention to get that message out there, you'll get it out there. Just, just talk and, and let your message fly. I think it's more important that you find the best way, the best high quality way to get that voice into the ears of other people that you're uh, using a good microphone, you're following the best practices, you're recording at bit rates and compression types that aren't going to uh, make your podcast sound muffled or mumbly or odd jarring to the ears. Um, I think, I think, uh, um, the idea of the radio voice is one that is is uh, been programmed into our heads in many ways because I've listened to a lot of podcasts now and I, I can't think of offhand one that I've listened to and thought, boy, this guy should really not be talking uh, because I was always interested in what he was saying. And even if you have you know, a weird voice and you're talking funny, if they're really just saying something that really, really interests you, well, you could probably sit to the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, we had a comment from Earl Wallace in the chat room. He says uh, he doesn't want to hear an, a, an extreme uh, Southern drawl. Um, you know, there are uh, very famous radio personalities who've made a, a lifetime career out of communicating um, who have intense accents. You know, uh, there have been lots of presidents 
who've had uh, very intense accents, being Southern or Northern, I don't think an accent is ever really an issue. I mean, if you're intelligible, you know, if you just if you just can't be understood, then then there's an issue there. But I don't think anybody is ever going to. You know, there may be people who don't who prefer one thing or another, but I don't think it's going to uh, affect your overall. Uh, podcast audience if you have a thick accent of any kind even if you're you know if you're non-english speaking natively and you're doing an english podcast i think for the most part that doesn't matter as long as you can be understood i agree absolutely i don't know i'm thinking i might go back on what i said earlier because i'm <laughs> i'm kind of with you on the extreme southern draw because i live in the middle of it and uh well that's like you know we talk that way we just talk about you know Getting in our truck and going up to the grocery store and getting some bowl of peanuts. Yeah, I, I grew up in the in the heart of East Texas. I always say that my family reunions are an episode of Cops waiting to happen. So uh, <laughs> this this is the way my family talks. This is the way my mama talks, and the way my uncle talks, and the way my grandma talks. And uh, it's what I grew up with. And I intentionally don't do that when I get behind the mic. But I don't think it's necessarily a requirement. It's just what I choose to do. Wait a minute. I, wait a minute. You, you talk like that when you're off the mic? No, I don't. Uh, I, I don't talk like that. I try not to. I've actually made a, a, an intentional effort over the years, starting when I was about 12, to lose the, the hick part of my... I don't mind being Southern. <laughs> and there are definite Southern things that I hang on to. I rarely put a G on an I-N-G. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and I'm okay with that. Those, that's just regional. That's just who I am. And I have not... Uh, work to fight uh, to to break that, but there are a lot of the things you know. I, you will ne- you will rarely hear me say all uh, y'all, even though that's a common word. And and I and oil for me is two syllables instead of one. Um, and there is a difference between the thing that you write with and the the number that comes before not uh, before uh, after nine. Um, you know, a, a pen and and ten. You know, those those are different things. Uh, or actually, for me, they're not. They're the same. God, I just lost my whole. Never mind everything. I just no. <laughs> it's just uh, here you write <laughs> you write with a pen and you count to ten. You know, and and uh, those are the things I've worked to to overcome. But it's just because, as I said earlier, I am um, passionate about communication, and I learned that the less of an accent I have, the more effectively I can communicate. Rednecks can understand non-rednecks, you know, but not everybody can understand a redneck. So I, I strive for that. It's it's almost a non-existent dialect. It doesn't really exist in the world except on television and radio, and it's that that dialect that is non-dialectic. And I've worked for that. I've taken you know classes in that, and I've 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 uh, tried to to uh, be better at that. But that, I don't think that you have to do that to be an effective communicator. I'm just impressed that your family is a is a episode of Cops waiting to happen. Yeah, it hasn't happened yet. Good for That's you. Great. My cousin Jim used to brag, brag that he had been in jail in all 50 states, including Hawaii. <laughs> what? That, That's that impressive. Was, that was a point I would, I would brag about that. I would brag about that too. That's awesome. Yeah, actually, it is. When he went to Hawaii, he intentionally got arrested so that he could say that. It's phenomenal. We tell him well done on reaching that goal. I mean, here, that takes here. some work. I would, but he died in a far bar fight. Are you I'm serious? Not, no, but it sounded good, didn't it? It was perfect. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, so in Hawaii, in Hawaii, in Hawaii, yeah, he was he was on the Big Island. He was sacrificed <laughs> to a volcano. <laughs> so anyway, I I didn't mean to go all around and around about that, but what I meant to say is your accent shouldn't hold you back, because for the most part, it won't hold you back if you can be understood. Now, if you're Nell and you speak a language nobody else speaks, any Liam Neeson fans out there? No, I'm no. gonna stand over here. No, okay. Uh, anyway, if you can't, if you speak a language so th- you know uh, so bad that people just can't understand you. Then maybe you want to dial it back a bit. Hey, I thought of another thing too. Um, we touched on it just a tad, but it reminded me of something else that I noticed on this show that Bob does. Um, he has a very professionally produced introduction to his show with a radio announcer type voice, and it and, and they actually introduce him by the they introduce the host by the name. This you know he's he hired a, like a a person to make this recording and it's super professionally done. I mean, everything sounds perfect, but it's way too overproduced, I think. And it just, it's not necessary. I wouldn't care if Bob just came on and said, Hey, this is the show, show number blah. And then he started, but he says, this is show number blah. And then this whole thing starts rolling with music and a big announcer and um, with, with extreme voice inflections. And it just sounds like, it sounds like the announcer on the price is right introducing people um and then the show starts i I think he could do without that and do just as good so i don't i I wouldn't worry about having a super professionally produced introduction to your show just start i don't know i'm almost used to that now because it's it's election season here in the south and we get the commercials billy williams is the man who can bring this country right out of this horrible depression and at the end they go (laughs) paid for by the committee reelect billy williams (laughs) And they just blew the whole production they were doing. Um, I kind of like a big fancy schmancy intro, though. I kind of like the idea of a bunch of thing bells and whistles going off and fireworks going and the fancy beginning. And then, but you really got to lead into. You got to come in strong, right? After right. There's got to be something good to follow it up. Got to hit it, hit it yeah, hard. If you, if you have that big, you know, let's get ready to rumble, and then you come in. Hi, everybody. Welcome Today to we's going to talk about Whitland. When you're Whitland, you need a good sharp knife. <laughs> I, I could understand. I could see that. I, I agree with that too. But hold on, hold back on the cheese. Don't make it make it original, not not too cheesy. This the one I heard is very cheesy. It's just I don't. Know, I like cheese. Too cheesy. There are Whitland like podcast. I'd love a Whitland podcast. <laughs> You, you we got, got a, to, we got a knitting podcast. We got a Whitland podcast. That's right. So there's a network waiting to happen there. Yeah, it's not uh, it's not whittling. It's whittling. Clearly, point point made. <laughs> well, I'm in the iTunes store right now. There's got to be one. <laughs> That's what I love about this show and about you two guys. You never know where we're going to end up. We started <laughs> talking about podcasting tips, and now James is actively searching the iTunes store for a whittling podcast. Is there quilting, James? There, oh, no, I, I have I have done research. There are some huge quilting podcasts. Really? Yeah. <laughs> With tens of thousands of listeners. Really? I, be- I believe that. That's interesting. Okay, so uh, uh, anything else no, before we not, move on to the lessons we learned this week? I was, I was not able to find a specific podcast on Whitlin, but I did find one that interviewed a gentleman who did Whitlin. So all you got to do... <laughs> Is searched there for Lana Jones talking about wood 
and Whitlin on the Established Image Podcast. Now, here's something I've, I've thought about. I've, I really have because I'm such a weird guy. Um, when, when we're old, you know, old men today in the South sit and whittle. It's what they do. But we're, we're you know, of the tech generation. Are we going to be sitting around with our smartphones and a whittling app? I mean, are we going to be <laughs> rocking on the porch, you know, <laughs> playing Angry Birds? What, what is the, the, the 2047 equivalent of the old guy whittling when we're 90? I'm just sitting here soldering. <laughs> soldering. You know, we did bring an app on the last Android app ad. It's called Let's Create Pottery. Have you guys ever used that? Uh, yes, I, I heard that and laughed <laughs> heartily at that. <laughs> that is a killer app. They, and apparently they, you were kicking butt and selling your pottery. Because after you're done making it, you can paint it and then sell it at a fake auction. What and in the world are you talking about? It's an app where you allows you to spin but you're not block a clay around what but you're not you're doing that but you aren't that's exactly. great because <laughs> it's like all the benefits of pottery with none of the benefits of pottery exactly. <laughs> clean hands yeah and patrick swayze is nowhere around <laughs> that's the there had to be a ghost reference in there somewhere <laughs> yeah uh, that came up on the show too, in a bit of a disturbing way. <laughs> yeah, I heard that, and I'm still um, not. Yeah, Stephanie says he's dead. That's the whole point. He's a ghost now. See, Patrick Swayze quit. That's what he should have made the movie now. <sighs> that would be awesome if he could make the movie today. He would be. It was far more talented than I ever gave him credit for. Yeah, he wouldn't be faking it. <laughs> I don't mean any disrespect. We, I have nothing against we gotta, him. But. We got to get out of this. We got, we're in a downward spiral. Somehow. I'm pulling up on the stick. Let's, let's get out of this. Um, James, what did you learn this week? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, Other than do, about Whitlin? It does have to do with Whitlin. Um, it has to do with making small changes. And, and at the time, you think it's going to be such a minor change. But it ends up being this enormous wave of 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 modifications to your life and how you do things um obviously a lot of what i do is a video podcast and so i do in an oops i do an enormous amount of of video editing so this week i bit the bullet and i upgraded to the latest version i do all of my editing on mac os 10 uh, i upgraded from what i was using a very old version of final cut express not even the pro version and a tech like me needs the pro version but of course <laughs> when final cut express uh was updated to the final cut pro the latest final cut pro x um that version was was really panned a year ago by everybody who was very familiar with final cut pro but it's been upgraded and updated through the years and a version just came out this year that uh that seemed to update a lot of the problems people were having. So I decided to bite the bullet and I said, you know what? I'm just oh. take one video and this one video of a, of a live event that I did this weekend. I'm going to stick it in the editor and now we're going to work sort of learn it that way. And I thought it'd be simple. Yeah. You take some video, you throw it in there, you cut it, you stick it back together, you tell it to render and off to the races. It was like rebuilding the entire thing from scratch because the, serious? the program has changed so dramatically and I was prepared for the dramatic changes, but every Everything from the process of getting the data and information into the program, the process of doing the editing itself, 
and the process of rendering it out of the program are all completely different. And I was really yeah. not prepared for the depth and breadth of what was in front of me when I did this. So I is thought it, it was just is it better, be, James, or worse? You know, it, it really is much better of a program. And had I started with this, I'd be ecstatic right now. But because it is, a, it's a, just a brand new program from the ground up, a completely different way. It might as well be another program with a different name made by a different company. Um, but I, I really like it. But there is a learning curve involved and getting in it. You can't just jump into it and, and figure all of those things out. So half the time I'm editing, the other half the time I'm Googling on how I should be doing something yeah. and finding wow. the article that someone wrote that said, are you also having problems doing this? Yes, I am. That's me. How did you fix that? And the, oh, that's how you fixed it. And then you learn and you keep going. But I thought it was going to be a little tweak and it turned out to be a a big thing. So you have to think about that and schedule that into your tiny little brain sometimes that you need to really think about this before you make major changes. I'm, I'm with you on that, James. I've, I've done that with video editing software where I, I see a new version of another program come out that has all these cool features. I'm like, oh, cool. I'm going to switch over. Instead, I'm gonna, instead of Sony Vegas, I'm going to use Magic's Movie Maker 18 or 2013, whatever it's called. Yep. And I switch over and I use it for like 10 minutes. And I go, I'm not used to any of this. This is a whole relearning process, and I go right back to Vegas. It happens every time. And of course, I'm I'm in my mind thinking of my next next studio. I'm planning on changing out my audio system. I'm changing out my video system. I'm changing out how I'm going to be recording and saving this content. It's going to be a massive change. I knew that one was going to be big. This little thing, or what I thought was going to be a little thing, hit me right upside the head and said, no, you're an idiot if you think... Yeah, this is going to go anywhere close to smoothly as it is. There are no small changes when it comes to technology. There's no such thing. It's true. I had an experience this weekend with my iPad, that wonderful device made by Apple that is perfect in all things. I have the original iPad 1 uh, that is now ancient. It's, what, three years old? Uh, and over the last few months, it's been having Wi-Fi troubles. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. And just this weekend, it got to the point where it will connect to the Wi-Fi, and I can ping the the router, or not ping it, but I can actually access the web interface for my firewall in the house, but I can't pull up any website. So Reinstall. I, yeah, so I did what, uh, what James was saying. I went out on the web and said, you know, has anybody else had this problem? And I found post after post after post after post of people saying, yes, I've had this problem. Now I don't know what the answer is. <laughs> so... um I thought, okay, it's I've never updated software on it. It's running the original software, so I'll update to the new iOS 5. iOS 6 doesn't work on the iPad 1, so I'll, I'll do that. Didn't fix the problem, but it did wipe out all my apps that I now can't re-download because I don't have network connectivity. Oh. So I literally now have a very pretty piece of glass with nothing on it that can't connect to anything. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> So I hope the, you figured uh, out. The worst is the forums where somebody asks the perfect question. It's the exact thing that you would ask if you would, would sign up for the forum, and they get no responses. Yeah. I hate that. Or they give a response that has nothing to do with the problem. Right. You're, hey, have you uh, checked the thing associated with the stuff? Like we aren't even yeah. talking. We're talking about a network connection. <laughs> yeah. Or Yahoo, Yahoo answers. Yeah. Or the answer is <laughs> iPad suck. Get an Android. <laughs> that, that doesn't help right. me with my problem, does it? I already have the iPad. 
Whether you think it sucks or not doesn't matter. I have this and I'm trying to solve it. So really, I think the solution is buy a new tablet because this one appears to be borked. Oh, bummer. Giving up that easy. Well, it's not easy. I spent like eight hours on it. Oh. And how, what, what timing, of course, that the, the pre-release of the, the fourth generation's right there. You could scoop yeah. it up. You'll have it on Friday. I won't be buying a new iPad. I didn't buy that iPad. It, I, I want it in a drawing. Uh, <laughs> I, I was at an open source convention. Yeah. What? So, yeah, the, one of the giveaways at the open source convention was an iPad. Oh, my God. And they called, they called my number. It was, you, you know, get the little tickets and you got the number on it. And they called it. It was like 637. Yeah, I've got those. 25. Oh, my gosh. And then the, the, the dramatic pause because this was the grand prize. It's like, I don't want to win this. One. Oh, crap. Are you serious? Yeah. yeah. It's like, I feel so dirty. I, Wouldn't that I be just, what the loser gets at an open yeah. source convention? <laughs> it's like, I just want it. So I stood up and kind of hung my head and walked slowly up to the platform. And the people who knew me were just laughing like, this is the most delicious irony ever. This is the guy who hates Apple. This is the guy who just spent um, an hour on his most recent podcast deriding the iPad as a waste of money, and now he owns an iPad. This is awesome. And uh, Why did you keep it? Why didn't you just resell it? Well, because I thought it would be... Uh, something I could use, and and my kids have loved it. It has been an excellent toy, and I still maintain that's all an iPad is is a toy. Uh, so I I Damn, rarely man. I rarely Those use are strong it. words. That's, that's yeah. pretty cool, brother. Yeah. Well, uh, the iPad's best trick is being able to connect to a real computer, something like log me in. You know, that's that's the best thing an iPad can do. Dude. Uh, <laughs> now I, I haven't used the new one. What is the iPad 16? There's three versions out, so it's six, yeah, 16. Um, that's the way Apple does things. The iPhone 5 is the seventh one. Anyway, um, the, I, the new ones, as I understand, have more uh, functionality for actually doing something. But that original iPad 1, it's a toy and nothing else. Gotcha. That's my story. I'm sticking I to understand. it. I understand. And well, now some, we can't do Netflix on it, which is all we ever did. The kids use it as their personal Netflix device. Well, for some yeah. of us that travel, and is it is there, it has replaced their notebook. At, that you do your notes, you take uh, settings during meetings, you surf around and do your uh, your cloud based systems that are associated with it. It travels everywhere with you, and it's everything you come to get really into using the technology. But to your point, I feel like these days. I could just as easily grab an Android, use the same apps and do similar things. There's really not that huge of a difference anymore. It's more of you're buying into the entire infrastructure. Now, this doesn't have anything to do with this show. Consider this post-show content. But my go-to tablet, I have a tablet that I use for actual work. It's an Asus Transformer, the original uh, Transformer with the keyboard. With the keyboard. Um, that costs roughly the same as the iPad once mm-hmm. I bought the keyboard and everything. It's a 10-inch device, and it is infinitely more functional just because it has the keyboard. <clears throat> and because the keyboard has a spare battery, it's got like 37 hours of battery life. So that is my tablet that I use as my yeah, workhorse. Yeah, you can't get a keyboard for the iPad. You're right. They don't make them. Well, you can, but it costs as much. Then you've already paid as much as I paid for both of them, plus now you're buying a keyboard. So the uh, the uh, transformer, no, I think keyboards are cheaper for the iPad. Yeah, well, the transformer with the keyboard was four ninety nine, which is the base price of just an iPad. Yeah. So you so, got a cheaper toy. 
Yeah. And it is a toy. It still is. Uh, I use it for taking notes. That's pretty much what it's good for. Anyway. I always am the I always come to Apple's defense. I, I have a soft spot in my heart for Apple because I bought them and I've used them and I've gotten so many good things done with them that I can't deride them as people who have never owned one and don't have the experience I had with it. Yeah, okay. So I I didn't mean to uh, diminish diminish the iPad. Yes, I did. I've, I'm, I no, meant you, to diminish you, the you, iPad. It just reminded me, like all my other shows, yeah. it's always in my ear. I'm always the iPad. I'm always the guy standing up for Apple. Now I ha- I had a Mac for a while. Uh, it was on extended loan from an employer, and I hated the OS. Loved the hardware, hated the OS. Just a personal preference. I didn't like it. So yeah. when people say, you know, you don't like Mac, have you ever used one? Yes. I have, and not for just five minutes. I mean, I, I used one every day, tried to work it into my workflow, and just didn't work for me. I don't think the I think that you are the, kind of the exception then, because in, in my opinion, here's what I'm learning. Most people, this is a generality, but Mark, you do them all the time on the show, so I'm going to do one now. Um, I think most people, that at least that I hear, talk to me about Apple and don't like them, can't afford them. And I think that they, I, they're, they're going to kill me for this. I think they are a little bitter about that. And they, that's why they don't like Apple. They're pissed off. I actually don't disagree with that statement at all. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I would say I'm the uh, exception because most regular people like the uh, Apple OS. But I'm yeah. not a regular people. I'm a power user. And I've grown up doing things a certain way. And the Apple OS doesn't let me do it that way. So it's not that it's bad. It's just that it doesn't work with the way I've learned to do things over the years. See, I wasn't going to step in this trap, but then James did, and then I I started. (laughs) And now I'm going to convince everyone to change political parties. (laughs) (laughs) See, even in the chat room, they're all fired up now. Yeah, I I know. They're all we got the whole Mac versus PC versus Linux. There's like one Linux voice. There's always one guy, lone voice in the wilderness, eating locusts and honey, who has to mention Linux. I, I do have to say, I, I have no Apple devices now. I sold every single one. So it's not like I lo- I'm an Apple lover. I don't have any now. I'm, uh, I'm, not, I'm Android and PC re- or Windows right now. I don't know. OS2 is really the best operating system ever. <laughs> <laughs> Warp. Yeah, that was, it was awesome. For its day. Really the best. Yeah. Can I do my lesson? Uh, no, I'm sorry. We're, we're done. We, you took up too much. We're out of time. No. We're out of time, right? <laughs> Go ahead. We are on a time limit here. No, we're going to cut uh, that uh, entire section. It'll just be <laughs> gone from the podcast. <laughs> we really should, yes. Um, my lesson I learned this week was it had to do with my cat, but this is a lesson in life. Um, pretty much the lesson was that I've got told by very nice veterinary assistants when trying to give my cat medication, suck it up. I'm in there all frazzled. I'm going, but she spits it out and I got to chase her around and I don't want to make her mad. And they're like, dude, you're a wuss. Suck it up. And uh, they show me the technique of how to give the cat pills. And uh, my lesson is do something that scares you at least once a day. Because after I successfully you know, got this cat wrapped up in a little kitty burrito with a towel, open up the jaws, throw the pill in, close it, no drool, no nothing perfect. I felt good the rest of the day, but that I was very apprehensive of doing that in the, early in the day. Um, this is another lesson I learned from Bob's podcast that I talked about earlier. 
Um, and uh, yeah, I've been applying that lately and uh, it's been working out. So suck it up, grow a pair, <laughs> do something that's do something scary. Steve liked it so much, he grabbed five of his neighbor's cats and gave them pills they didn't even need just because <laughs> it was such a great experience. I treat, I gave him treats, throw them down their throat. So if you see a guy wandering around your neighborhood with a towel and a bottle of vitamins, you know who it is and why he's there. And like face paint, military makeup. <laughs> kind of went the entire other direction. Oh, man. Yeah, so he's there with his night vision goggles. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. <laughs> deploy, deploy, deploy. <laughs> but I do agree with that. Do something that scares you. Do something you're not good at. And, and it's actually very beneficial for the brain to do something you're not good at. <laughs> and James is like, we're doing it now. Right here, we brother. do it every week. That's how we are. We're rolling with it today. All right. Thanks for being with me, guys. And uh, do you, by any chance, have any business ventures or uh, online activities you'd like to uh, mention to the audience? Steve? Yes. Number one, of course, go to howtopodcast.biz, buy the videos, buy them multiple times. I don't care if you buy it five times. I'll, I'll take the money. Um, secondly is I'm starting a Kickstarter because I'm actually launching a career as a musician right here very shortly. And uh, we have a Kickstarter involving that. And also the future of the Podnuts Network is going to be intimately tied into that Kickstarter. Um, the Kickstarter was submitted for approval. Should have it hopefully approved in a day or so. And um, you'll be able to get to it by going to podnuts.com slash Kickstarter. Or just go to Kickstarter, do a search for Podnuts, and you'll see it. And um, you'll see what my plan is. Well, since this show will come out after it's approved, why don't you go ahead and tell us? That's a, that was a nice try, but I can't. Okay. Can't tell you because it's not out yet. And nobody knows except one or two people. Sorry. That's right. I was trying to do my best journalism bit. How about you, James? You got anything uh, that you do online that people might be interested in? I'm going to guess that Steve's career has something to do with Vuvuzelas. We're going to see when that, that Kickstarter finally comes out. If you want to know well, more he's, about... What, he's, he's, he's opening a cat pill giving business. If you want to know what, what I'm doing, you can find it all at ProfessorMesser.com where I have absolutely free training videos for your A+, your Network+, your Security+, Linux videos, Microsoft 7 videos, and oh so much more at ProfessorMesser.com. Do you call it Windows 7 in your videos instead of Microsoft 7? I call it in the Microsoft, If it's a Windows 7 comma configuring is how they put it on their website. I call it configuring Windows 7. And, and you, just, you get to listen to that mellifluous voice for what, how long your what? shows? Like 15 minutes or so usually? Or what? Ma what? Mellifluous? Was that mellifluous. It's a real word. Google it. It's there. Mellifluous. Google it. These guys are always ragging on me. Not, because, me, no, not you guys. You, me. I am. Yeah. Mellifluous. I'm sure James understands everything you say. Mellifluous. Mellifluous. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm not, I'm speaking English. Really? It's a real word in our language. Well, I mean, I, I'm good at derivations. So M-A-L stands for well, that's Latin for bad, mal. Um, and what, how do you spell the rest of it? Lif? Lith? <laughs> Lith? Mellifluous. 
There you Thank go. Mellifluous. Here, I'm posting so. I'm posting it in the chat room. That's the spelling of mellifluous. Mellifluous. Oh, fluer means to flow. So to flow badly. It means you know, it's M-E-L, as in melodious. Sweet or musical, oh. pleasant to oh, hear. Oh. Sweet or musical, pleasant to hear. It's musically flowing. Yeah, yeah musically flowing. I get that. Okay, no. good. Hamble. <laughs> And we have the Latin derivation. <laughs> I was once uh, giving a, a presentation to a group of people, and I used the word nefarious. It was a security presentation, and I used the word nefarious. Yeah. And these were college-educated people. And they, like, they all went blank. Like 300 people gave me the deer in the headlights look. And I had to stop and define nefarious for them. It made me That's the bad. only way to snap people out of the deer in the headlights look. Otherwise, you would have been screwed for the rest of your time. Pretty much, yeah. Nefarious. Uh, so you can find me and other mellifluous things uh, at elementop.com. I know some of you guys uh, probably come here because the great and powerful Messer compels you uh, with his tweets and whatever. Uh, if you want to find more about it, you can go to elementop.com. That is my network of all things media related. Actually, mostly just podcast entirely just podcast but i do i do several of them this being one of them check it out uh go over to the forums click on the art of podcasting link make a post there and we will read it if you would like to uh leave us a voicemail like our good friend uh steve <coughs> sorry i just choked in the middle of saying that <clears throat> oh like a good friend door to door apparently steve i can't say He's a good friend door to door geek did uh, you can use the uh, leave us a voicemail button at the top of the page and uh, give me your phone number, not me, but Google, and Google will call you. Or if you just happen to be out driving around as it sounded like he was, call 559-IAM-OPI. Leave, uh, leave us a voicemail. I will play it on the air. Or if you'd like to take me to task like Rateo did and tell me I'm wrong, uh, you can use the contact us button at the top of the page. That'll send me an email. So those are all ways that you can get in contact with each of us. And we will um, read it on the air or just talk about you behind your back when we're not recording. So I encourage you to do that. Thanks for being uh, a great audience. Thanks for the, those of you in the chat room for providing some entertainment there. Uh, we do this show every Sunday night at 10 p.m.-ish Eastern Time. So come check it out. Uh, Steve, James, great having you here. Appreciate it. And I'm going to say that ends this episode of... The Art of Podcasting.